0: Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi, from every mountainside. Let freedom ring. And when this happens, and when we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day
1: So on, There we go. It doesn't get old. Um, we're, we're starting a series today on, on, on dreams. And can't you see the power of a dream? I mean, Mr. Reverend Martin Luther King, he had a dream. And he was obsessed with it. He was fixated by it. But he could see it. It was like, he was very, did you notice that he was very specific when he was talking about it? little white boys and little black girls holding hands together. So he could could see it in his mind. And the beautiful thing about this speech is that it wasn't Martin Luther King's speech. This was God's speech. This is a perfect example of God and one of God's children working together and really making a change, really making a difference. uh, Identifying to what their dream is and, and just making it happen. And we're celebrating that dream tomorrow. So this series that we're in—I mean, this is the overarching goal—is to catch God's dream for your life, developing God's dream for your life, the ability to interpret what God's dream is for your life, and it can be—it can be a difficult thing because maybe maybe your dream stinks. You know, um, I just need to make there's a distinction between you know, what God's dream is for your life, catching God's dream, catching God's vision, and then catching your dream and your vision. Uh, it was a, you know, what was it, Rapunzel? Rapunzel, where, you know, they're in the bar, and she's talking about her dream to see the lights, and, you know, what, Flynn, his dream was to own his own island and be rich, and the guy's like, your dream stinks. Let's talk about her dream. You know, when I was, when I was in high school, you know, my, I, I had the dream to be a rock star. Not a very good dream, right? Because my my ambitions were wrong. My motives were wrong. I wanted to be a rock star, and God, and there was nothing for God to work with because I was just being selfish, right? Um, I, I didn't even have a voice or rhythm to work with, so. God's like, I can't even do anything. I can't even transform this dream, Josh, because you have no rhythm and you can't sing. You're tone deaf, son. Let's change your dream. Let's, let's, let's move you out of this delusion that you're in. And so uh, sometimes your, your dream might, might stink. And, but see, here's the good thing. When, when we allow God into our lives, when we allow God to dream with us, it's, it's a partnership relationship, God. One of the major misconceptions about the Christian faith is that God is out to control you. That is not his nature. Janie read what his nature is. His nature is to bless you. But we think that God's nature is out to control us. When I was in college, I was in a serious relationship with a girl, and and she had a dream for my life. (laughs) She had it all planned out. I didn't like that. It just it made my skin crawl. And so we had to fix some things. So, but you see, God doesn't wanna, He doesn't want to be a controlling boyfriend, controlling girlfriend, or a controlling parent where he has a dream for your life and you just better get with it. No, there's something much deeper than that in the Christian faith, the way that God has wired us. See, it is in his character. It is in his nature to say, what do you want? What do you want to do? What's? Let me open up heaven and see what happens. That's what God does. Now, we're going to be, again, the overarching goal is to look at the big, giant picture of, of what your dream is, right? What, if you're dreaming with God, what does your life look like? But one of the things that I, I really want to bring down and take a really good look at today, maybe in a couple other weeks too, is the, the actual literal dreaming with God like in in the night seasons when you are asleep and when you are in bed uh, what do you dream about 33 percent of our life is sleeping and our minds shut down our bodies shut down but our spirits don't shut down and the ancient Hebrews knew this they knew this was true they knew that our day started when you when you when you lay down when your head hit the pillows when the day starts and God continues to minister to us when we're sleeping. It is an important time. The God, when God communicates to us, I mean, he does it throughout scripture. God communicates a lot through visions. Visions happen in the daytime, but God also communicates quite a bit through dreams. And we see some very specific uh, uh, communication by God, through biblical dreams. And that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to interpret a biblical dream. And I have this this theory or this idea that our our night life, our dream world, uh, reflects what's really going on in our life. If you're having trouble in your sleep, if you're having nightmares, well, it could be a reflection of what's going on in the day. And here's the whole point: we need to invite God into our mind and into our dreams before we get to bed. Now, the problem with biblical dream interpretation is that, well, it's kind of a subjective thing. It's kind of uh, well, okay, God is is you know is this is this from God or is it not? And we have to be careful about how we interpret a dream because. Dreams are powerful. Like, they really pull hard on our emotions. If you had an intense, vivid dream that seemed like it was real, and you woke up, and you're like, man, that that was powerful. It must have a meaning. It may be from God, and it may not. It might be your dream, or the pizza that you had the night before, or the movie that you watched before you went to bed. Okay, pay attention to what I'm saying. This is so important. What we put into our minds and into our our souls before we go to bed is going to determine what we dream about and will determine how we wake up in the morning. So I want to encourage our church to really grow and to really strengthen ourselves in the spiritual discipline. But I don't want somebody saying, Josh, I had a dream that you were being chased by zombies and they, and they killed and ate you? Really? What did you watch last night? Oh, I, I watched The Night of the Living Dead? Really? So I'm supposed to accept your dream, even though it's powerful and vivid in your mind, I'm supposed to accept that from God when you didn't have the discipline enough to get that junk out of your mind before you went to bed. Another example. I need to clarify something, too. First service... Um, I said, I said I went to bed uh, right after I had a, an argument with my wife. Well, I'm I fighting this cold thing, so I'm a little nasally. And the way that some people heard it said that I wet the bed last this week. And so I'm just going to clarify. It's been a while since, since I have wet the bed. I did not wet the bed last week. I went, went to bed. And... Uh, <laughs> so, so it's, somebody, somebody came to me after the service like Josh that was really transparent I don't know if I would have shared that I'm like shared what? <laughs> that you wet the bed I'm like what? <laughs> so, so I, didn't, I didn't I haven't wet the bed in a while it's been at least a year or two um, anyway but once I uh, have you ever had an argument with your wife or your spouse and then and then you went to sleep. What'd you dream about? Oh, you dream about all kinds of horrible things, right? You just do. And uh, so I had an argument with, with my wife, Mako. It happens, right? We're not perfect. And I went to bed, and then my, I, had, I had nightmares about our relationship. You, just, you dream all kinds of horrible things when you go to bed when you fight with your spouse. That's why the Bible says don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You take care of business before you go to sleep. And so I woke up with things worse because I'm thinking about these nightmares that I had about our relationship. And I remember my sermon a couple of weeks ago. Well, God remembered, reminded me of it. He says, you know, Josh, and you wake up and it's so real. It's like, man, my wife's a horrible person. You, know, you, just, you just believe this stuff. It's so real when you wake up. And for some reason, we think that the dream is more real than reality. And we transpose that pain onto something that's just not there. And, Josh, uh, and God says to Josh, he says, Josh, that's an imagination. You remember this talk? He says we need to cast down all imaginations. You need to hold every thought captive. That happens in your dream life too. Some of your dreams that you're having are not good. They're they're evil dreams. They're false dreams. It is our responsibility to cultivate a life that will foster God to be able to work in our sleep, in our dream life, so that we can carry His presence forward. It's a needed practice spiritually, and I have a little bit of trepidation and honestly a little bit of fear in this topic as well, because it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous. Because if if we allow, or we say, okay, we're gonna allow God to speak to us through dreams, well, okay, how do you know it's from God? How do you not know it's from God? How do you interpret the symbols? How do you interpret the symbols? How do you interpret the meaning? Years back, I had somebody that when I, was, when I was the youth pastor, I was taking the kids to uh, the park to feed the homeless. And uh, uh, somebody stopped me. They don't go to the, this church anymore. And they said, Pastor Josh, I had a dream about you last night. That you took the kids to the park to feed the homeless. And somebody gunned you down so you shouldn't go. And here's the thing. And then, and then I got a bus stay at the Lord on that, right? Here's the thing. I knew that that was not a word from the Lord. I had enough discernment to know that that was an imagination, that that was a lie, and that was not from God. And I don't know if this is the right response or not, but I walked around angry for about a week because I was so angry that somebody tried to to put fear on me and to manipulate me uh, with this medium, right? Just angry, Went to Chinese. Went to a Chinese restaurant uh, that day, and I wouldn't open up my fortune cookie. <laughs> because it's because of the superstition that's attached to that, the the voodoo that's attached to that. I lived in the South. I lived in Charleston, South Carolina, where racism was very real and alive. It's kind of under the surface, but. Um, uh, I, I didn't know better. I lived in a black community. No one told me that I wasn't supposed to do that. The, the, the black community didn't seem to mind. They felt sorry for the white boy from Los Angeles, so they just kind of, they just kind of took me in. And I clearly didn't know what I was doing in that society. And so they just kind of took me in. They took care of me. They fed me. And um, uh, they would. Uh, some of the the grandmothers would would make charms. So, because Voodoo's big down there still, so these little kids would bring me charms and and feathers with spells on them uh, to protect me. I mean, it's very sweet, but again, it's the it's that superstition thing that I just really disliked. But I, you know, I I, I kind of received it. How do you? I mean, their heart was good. Just the, the creepy stuff, I kind of had to, you know, get rid of as fast as I could. But so I just I have this. Um, uh, really strong, adverse reaction to, to superstition. I just don't like it. It turns my stomach, and it's not the gospel. And so when I began to look into this area of biblical dream interpretation, my first approach was to read all of the, the dreams in the Bible, to actually go to the Bible first before I started my research and see what the Bible actually said about dream interpretation. And there's a lot of interesting things that go on. There's about 121 dreams in, that are in the Bible. And all the other. there's lots of visions. I didn't s- to spend the time to count like the vision, the day vision that God will give you. But the dreams, there's not as many as you would think. And they're very clear and they're very specific. And here's the thing. If you get a dream, it doesn't mean that you're God's special, a little anointed one. Because God was giving dreams to non-believers and pagans. The first dream that's recorded actually was given to an Egyptian. And God wakes this Egyptian up in the middle of the night, or in a dream, doesn't wake him up, gives him this dream and says, you're a dead man. (laughs) So how would you like to get that one, right? How would you like God to say, hey, you're a dead man? And his response, uh, Elimelech's response is like, what did I do? We're not even friends. (laughs) And so what did I do? And God says, "Look, you're about ready to sleep with Abraham's wife." It's he lied to you. It's not his sister. He's like, "I didn't know." I was like, "All right, you didn't know. I won't, I won't smoke you." That's the first. I don't know what it means. I really don't. I have to spend more time to find out what the meaning of that whole thing is. But the point is, that's the first dream that's recorded was in was in a, a pagan ruler, and not one of God's special anointed ones. Interesting, right? The okay, we have. Last week we talked about the book of Revelation. So uh, the whole book was revealed to John in a, in a vision. A daytime vision, nonstop. It's like Jack Kerouac of, of spirituality. He wrote the whole thing down in this big, giant flow of vision. But the last dream that's recorded in the New Testament was by Pilate's wife. So Pilate is interrogating and judging Jesus and doesn't really... doesn't. Like what did you actually do? And Jesus is like I don't know what they just don't like me. Um, so Pilate's trying to figure this out, and Pilate's wife gets the dream, and she goes to her husband, and and this, the the Romans and Romans listen to their wives, I guess, and 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 she tells him, look, he's this is innocent blood. This man did nothing wrong. You need to wash your hands. You need to back off. Things are going to go south if you kill him. This, he's got, he's, this is innocent blood you're going to shed. And I was tormented in a dream last night. I don't know. Why did God choose her to communicate this to? I don't know. But dreams, God will dream. He will give us all kinds of dreams. All, and, it, and it doesn't matter who you are. God will use them. Now, again, when I was doing the research... There's lots of ministries out there that are interested in in biblical dream interpretation. And they focus on, uh, you know, they'll focus on symbols and meanings and numbers and all these different types of things. Now, um, not a whole lot of that represented in the Bible. So this is, and and I'm not saying that to interpret images and, and in numbers is not biblical. I'm not, I don't want to have. I'm not coming off with the nasty attitude about this. There might be. I'm 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 okay with people, you know, exploring, maybe even having fun, but looking at, you know, what is the Bible trying to say in this dream? What does this symbol represent? Um, there's really, if you're really interested in in interpreting dreams, there's only two people that do ministry that I kind of respect in this area, and they they go into they go into symbolism in a very strong way. One is John Paul Jackson. And the other one is Barbie Breathitt. And the reason why I like these two, now they both, again, they both will go into symbol interpretation. So they'll say, you know, if you're dreaming and, and it's the color red, that's the blood of Jesus. If you're dreaming and you get the number 666, that's, that's the mark of the beast. So, these type of things. Uh, if you're dreaming and, and you get a, a dream of, a lo- of an animal and it's a lion, well, that's the Lion of Judah that represents royalty. So they'll go over these things, and they'll go over the interpretation and what it could mean. But here's why I like both of them. Because they both say you have to be a person of character in order to interpret a dream well, and you have to allow the Holy Spirit to interpret the dream. Because every symbol will have a negative meaning or a positive meaning. For example, if you dream and it's, you get the color red, yes, it could be the blood of Jesus shed for your sins. Or it could be the God of war. You might have that dream of the lion, and yes, it could be that it's, it's the Lion of Judah, and it's, it's, a, it's a royal inheritance, and all this type of thing. That could be the meaning. But the Bible also describes Satan as a roaring lion that's out to kill, steal, and destroy, and devour your kids. So which is it? The Bible also says that 666 is the mark of the beast. It's an evil number. But we also have Psalms 66, uh, chapter, verse 6, which is an incredible encouragement. So which is it? You have to go at interpreting your dreams through the interpretation and the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I'll say about biblical interpretation. There's only two guys that spent a significant amount of time and energy interpreting a dream. That was Daniel, and that was Joseph, and they were interpreting a dream for pagan kings that were confused about what they were receiving. Everybody else, when they received a dream they knew exactly what it meant. So here's my, here's my encouragement for you. If, you. if you wake up from a dream and you don't know what it means and you're confused, chances are it's not from the Lord. You get a dream, it's visit, vivid, you wake up, you know what it means, you feel peace about it, the Holy Spirit has it interpreted for you, and it's from the Lord. See, there's a a whole lot of guessing in biblical dreams, with the exception of of Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh. They had no idea what was going on. Everybody else had a really good idea of what was going on. And when we see dreams being expressed in the Bible, it happens, uh, there's really about five different things that God's trying to do. One, he's he's trying to give you God's dream. He's out to partner with you. He's out to do this big, giant, macro dream for your life, like like Martin Luther King. He's out for a big picture, big vision thing. And sometimes we don't have it within ourselves. And so he gives it to us, and he he plants that in. So that's one area that, that God communicates to us in the night through a dream. He's out to accomplish a big picture. You might not have it. You might be heading down the wrong path. Another thing that God uses is he uses dreams for warnings. Both Josephs, the Joseph in the Old Testament, the Technicolor raincoat, raincoat, you know what I'm talking about, dreamcoat, <laughs> the Technicolor dreamcoat guy. Okay, so God give, gave him the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dream to protect them from famine. Uh, Joseph in the New Testament, Mary's husband, he get he, God used dreams with him all the time. Three times, he says, "You know what? She's a good gal. You just this really did happen. You know she's she she conceived by the Holy Spirit. So man up." And so that was one dream. The other dream is, "Look, uh, this is a dangerous environment. You need to get your wife and Jesus out of here because they're gonna kill him. And then he goes to Egypt, and in Egypt says, "Okay, it's time to go." You need to head back. So, God will use dreams to warn us of some very specific things. And again, I believe there's no mystery involved here. You will know specifically. He'll speak clearly to you in a dream. He'll probably hit you again with a vision. He'll probably give you a scripture. You'll feel peace when you pray about it. Yeah, I need a, this, is a, this is a bad environment. This is dangerous. I got to not do this. It's clear. And then God will use dreams in the night to encourage. Uh, God gave uh, a dream to Gideon, actually to one of Gideon's friends. Gideon knew exactly what it meant as soon as he heard it. It's like he didn't even spend time interpreting it. He knew exactly what the dream meant. And that encouraged him to rally his troops, to fight a battle that he knew he couldn't win. He said he was just full of joy, and he went after it, and he did it. And the other thing that God will do, this is interesting, with a night dream, is that he will empower you with abilities that you didn't have before. He will literally open up heaven for you in that realm at night. So that's what we're going to look at right now. If you want to get your Bibles out, And we're going to look at one of the first dreamers that was a follower or a believer or or at least trying to be a good boy. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. This is the story of Jacob. Now, you all know Jacob. Uh, He was a little liar. He was a little sneaky. Um, He was a mama's boy. He was the second born, yet there was something on him that he was supposed to be uh, the firstborn, and he had an insecurity that he always wanted the, his, the approval of his father. He just wasn't getting the approval of his father, because his brother Isaac was getting it. Isaac was, you know, he was the hairy guy that killed animals and, you know, he must have went through wild at heart or something. So, um, anyway. Um, so, there was that, that insecurity, and we see Jacob come in, and Put on his brother's clothes and get himself hairy, and he steals his brother's birthright. You know this whole story. And uh, it all went south. Like the plan went horribly wrong. He didn't figure out that his brother wouldn't be happy with that. And so his brother's gonna kill him. And he's on the run. And he heads up north. He has absolutely nothing. All that he has is the clothes on his back. And he's been functioning out of a selfish mentality. His entire life. He's been, he's been functioning out of insecurity all of his life. He's had to lie and, and whine to get what he wants. And now God encounters him. God changes his life and he does it in a dream. Okay, verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped, uh, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there... I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what is promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was terrified and said, How awesome is this place. A better translation is, How terrifying is this place. This is none other than the house of God, Beth-El. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he'd placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Lutz. Okay, so Jacob has absolutely nothing, and it's evident he doesn't even have a a jacket to roll up to use as a pillow. So he's got a rock to, to lay his head on. Here's the beautiful thing about God, and about God's dream for our lives, is that as as He's got nothing, He's like He's hit literally rock bottom. Maybe that's where we get the term because He's got His head on a rock, and heaven opens up for Him. He gets a vision. He gets a and it's a dream. It comes in a dream form. He gets a dream of heaven, which He'd never He says He hasn't had this before. He's never had an experience with God like this before. Maybe they learned about it in Bible study around the campfire, but Jacob had never experienced God. He knew things about God. They never experienced God. And so now we have this classical stairway to heaven that inspired Jimmy Page, right? And it inspired Bugs Bunny. You know Bugs Bunny in the cartoons with the escalators with the angels going up and down the escalator? Yeah, that's where this comes from. It is he sees a stairway to heaven and it 's all focused on this rock that he puts he 's laying his head on, and then the dream gets unveiled he says you're going to your descendants are going to number dust and the stars and this land this earth is is going to be yours you 're going to be intimately tied to this land, and so he begins to get this this dream that is way beyond anything that he could dream up himself. And he begins to identify with it. He knows that he's in a holy place and he's terrified of it. Jesus says, Jesus references this in the Gospels. He says, angels ascend and descend on the Son of Man. Jesus is that rock, he is that thing that we ought to be laying our heads on when we sleep. It is that, that solid foundation that determines what we think about and initially what we dream about. So, big picture stuff. You know what? If you've hit rock bottom and you need a dream, when we grow up, when we're little kids, we dream all the time. And then life sucks dream life out of us. You have to become an adult. You have to pay your bills, and you're not allowed to dream anymore. But see, God wants us to dream. He can't move his kingdom forward unless we're dreaming properly. And so he's out to get us to dream again. He wants us to dream again. Just not about being a rock star. He wants us to dream about his kingdom. He wants us to lay our heads on the rock of salvation. And so, again, we see this big picture just unfold. And it's a lot to take in. But Jacob knows, look, there's something about this dream that's real. In fact, it's probably more real than what I'm experiencing right here and right now. He anoints it. He renames it the house of God. And then his life completely changes. His life changes for the better. Now, I want to look at another story. I think I have a little bit of time. Is there a football game today? Are you guys itching to get to this game? So, are the Dodgers playing somebody? I, I know. I know. I'm sorry. All right, okay, I do know who it is. It's the it's with the Seahawks. Is that is that today? Oh no, it's not the okay. Patriots. I'm sorry. All right, I'll make it quick. I, I'll make it quick here. Sorry, folks. If <laughs> you know that, you know that the Seahawks won't sell. Uh, Tickets to anybody from California? <laughs> yeah, it's just they're just being rotten. They'll, they won't you have to have a Washington State driver's license in order to buy a ticket to their football games. It's awesome. All right. Okay. Another thing that dreams do, when we get these big giant macro dreams, is that it's going to instill God's vision, this big giant picture for your life. It will auto-correct you. So maybe, okay, let's say I I can sing and I have a little bit of rhythm and I can dance and I wanted to be a rock star. God could take that selfish dream and he could make it his. So he can turn all things to good for those who love and believe in him. So he could take, if I actually had some talent, he could take that dream and make it his. Like we could work together on that thing. But God needs to come in and he will do it in the dream life. And he he will take over and he will... Auto-correct it. He said, these things in your life are wrong and we need to fix them. So he will, he will, he will use it to correct and he will use it to empower. It's, okay, we're we'll, we'll just going to get to it. Okay, next scripture that I want to read to you guys is First Kings chapter 3, verse 3. Now, this is the story of Solomon. He was the second king of Israel uh, Dad was King David. We all know who he is. And Dad passes on, and he's 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 got a bunch of sons, and Solomon is not the oldest son. So he passes on, and he gives verbally he gives the kingdom to Solomon. And there's kind of there's kind of some political instability. Because there's another brother. There's an older brother. Uh, uh, what's his name? Adoniah. And he ought to be the king. But there's some issues going on. And we're not quite sure. So we, it's like typical uh, court intrigue. Solomon kills his brother. Kills a priest. And marries himself. And a, an Egyptian pharaoh's daughter. So he's starting off his reign Kind of missing the mark here. He's starting off with the wrong motives and the wrong intentions, the wrong impulses. I mean, politically, it might be seen as savvy, but it's not right. What he's done is not right. He's starting off on the wrong foot. He even, doesn't even know how to worship properly. He's even worshiping God the wrong way. But there was some, something happened between a father and a son while David was on his deathbed. David was not a good dad. He, was a, he, he loved the Lord with all of his heart. He was an incredible general. He was an incredible politician. He was, a great, he was an amazing king. He was a terrible dad. But he had this one conversation with Solomon as he was on his deathbed. And he says, son... Do right in the Lord's eyes. You need to keep the commandments as best you can. But here's the, here's the key. Wisdom is supreme. At all costs, you need to get wisdom. You need to get gain understanding. This is supreme. This is what you've got to get. If you want to be successful as king, forget about everything else and get wisdom. So that's David's uh, advice to his son. All right, let's see what happens. Verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except that he offered sacrifice and burnt incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices for, what, uh, for that was the most important high place. Solomon offered a 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar His throne this very day. Now, O oh Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to number. So give your ser- servant a discerning heart to govern your people. And to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life, or wealth, or yourself, you have, uh, you have not asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and in administering justice. I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be, never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commandments... As David your father did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon awoke. He realized he had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem, stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant, and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And he gave a feast for all of his courts. Okay, so what's the point? Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for more power. He didn't ask for more money. He didn't ask for long life. He didn't ask for uh, his enemies to be destroyed. He asked for wisdom. Now, did you notice what God did, the first thing God said to him when he enters into Solomon's dream? Okay, Solomon's not a good guy right now. He's a bad guy. He's killed his brother. He's killed a priest. He's married an Egyptian pagan. He's sacrificing to God in the wrong place. They, they, they decided that they were going to sacrifice to God on top of these really cool mountains so they could either overlook the valley or overlook the ocean. and um, Maybe they had some type of a connection to Moses because Moses received from God from the mountain. But most likely, it was cultic in nature. The cults of the area were sacrificing on top of the mountains. And Solomon and all the Israelites were, they were just falling in to this, this cultural temptation. They were, they were going the way of the world. they were being highly influenced by the world. And they were just doing things the wrong way. But what does God ask Solomon? This is the heart of God. This is what he's gonna do with us. He says, What he wants? He doesn't say you've been a bad boy. You're not worshiping right. You're a murderer. You're a thief. You know, you stole your, you stole your brother's inheritance. He doesn't, he doesn't accuse at all. That's what he wants. It's interesting, huh? Do we see God that way? When God comes into our lives and when he speaks to us, does he say that to you? Or does he, do you think that he says, you've been naughty this week? No. The true heart of God is he, he wants to come in and says, what do you want? What's your dream? What's your dream? Solomon says, I want wisdom. I want discernment. I want understanding. And supernaturally, in that dream state, he gets it. He was not smart before. When he woke up, he was smart. Wouldn't that be nice? Nice supernatural empowerment done in the dream he wakes up he's the wisest man on the planet it continues to say that he knew everything that there was about nature he knew about the birds he knew about animals he knew about all the vegetation he knew how the weather worked he had he had this supernatural understanding of the natural environment he understood commerce better than anybody else he was, he was white. They begin to read off the, the wise men of the time. He was smarter than all those guys put together. His, his empire reached from the Euphrates all the way down to Egypt. It was the largest empire, and he had, he had amassed more wealth than the world had ever seen within a half life. It's absolutely amazing when he, had, when he identifies with the dream, he's empowered, and he actually dreams the right thing wisdom. Wisdom wisdom. What if you could get whatever you wanted? You guys remember the, the movie Inception? You guys see the movie Inception? Alright, so if you haven't, you've got to get it. It's amazing. But the, the idea is that there's these agents that go into a dream state and they can infiltrate other people's dreams. It's really cool. But as they go in, uh, 60 minutes in real time is like days and days and days in the dream world. And this is one of the points that, um, that Rousseau makes. He says, okay. no, it's not Rousseau. Who is it? Descartes. Descartes makes this statement. Uh, Rene Descartes says, dreams are so important because... It defines who we are as humans, and if what we're really doing is reality. When we dream, most of the time, we don't realize we're dreaming, do we? It seems like it's forever. In fact, how do you know that you're not in bed right now dreaming about being in church? (laughs) See, this is the question that he has. Paul makes this very statement, too. He says, look, I am, I am in this world, but it doesn't seem quite real. I look at the world as if it's a, it's a hazy glass. So when we dream, we kind of lose perspective of what time is. But just think about if you could dream and time was not an issue, like you could spend eternity in your dream world and you could, ha- you could actually have control. Do you guys know what a lucid dream is? A lucid dream is your ability to control your environment in your dream world. Like sometimes we dream we have no control and bad things happen and those are, those are nightmares. Usually when good things are happening in our dreams, we have some type of control. Now, this has happened to me. I, hope, I wonder if it's happened to you too. But I have been in a lucid dream where I am actually controlling my environment in the dream. I have, maybe I have some type of understanding that I am dreaming. Have you ever had this experience where you're dreaming and you know that you're dreaming? You can control it. You can control the environment. You actually have a sense of the future. I'm walking down this really scary alley. There's a monster behind the alley, about behind the door. I can see it. I know it's there. So in a lucid dream, I, n- I have a foreknowledge of the monster that's hiding behind the door that's going to kill me. So therefore I prepare myself. I get the big sword, and I'm going, it's not going to jump out and get me, right? I'm not going to be scared by it. I have control over the dream, over the monster. Better yet, I can make the monster completely disappear. I can change the environment altogether. I don't want to be walking down a dark, scary alley. I want to be in a field by streams of water. I don't like this dream anymore. I'm going to change it. And this is, what, this is what the gospel message is about for us. Our life is like walking in a dream world, and we have the power to change it. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You can determine What happens in your life? Just think about about your finances. You know, project the future of your debt five years from now. You know bad things are going to happen. Therefore, you can fix it now. You can begin the process to head the monster off at the pass. What if in your dream world that that you could spend 100 years in and it's only, you know, maybe it's only a year in real life, you can spend 100 years and you get whatever you want. All the pleasures that you de- think you desire. It's like you want to go to Las Vegas and always win. That would be exciting for about a week. Right? I want to be able to read everybody's mind when I play poker. I want to be able to win every time. You would, you would spend a week in, in Vegas and you would get bored because there's no risk involved. So you like, okay, I don't like that. So in my dream world, I want to be that rock star, and I want to gain all of those worldly pre- pleasures. I want to experience all the different girls and the lifestyle, and I, and I want everybody to love me and worship me, that's going to be my dream world. I don't know, in your dream world, maybe three months, maybe six months, maybe a year, you get bored. I want to be safe and secure in my dream world. I don't want anything bad to ever happen to me. And after a while, you're just like, man, this is, I need some adventure in my life. So I'm going to dream about myself hang gliding over a big giant bounce house so I don't hurt myself. So you're now you're, hang, you're spending a long time hang gliding over a bounce house. You're not going to get hurt. That gets boring too. I gotta I gotta quit I gotta have some unexpected expected danger in my life. And once we start thinking about, okay, if you had all the desires of your heart, not God's heart, if you had everything that you ever wanted, you'd get bored and you'd start wanting risk, you'd want danger, you'd want the unknown. And what it really looks like is your life right here and right now, eventually. Eventually, if you spent an eternity dreaming, you would desire the life that God has created for you right here and right now. That's what you would want. And you might be thinking to yourself, man, my life stinks. Why would I dream up this? Because God wants to unfold it for you. He wants you to discover some secrets. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be victorious. He wants you to go to that football game that you're itching to go to right now. He wants all of these things for you. See, God is not out to be controlling. He's out to bless. He wants to partner with us. He wants to dream with us. He wants us to dream again. I believe that there's some secrets in our dream life. I think we have to approach it with character. I think we have to approach it with the, dis- the same discernment that Solomon had, with wisdom. I think not only in our dream life, but everything that happens in life, it needs to be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. What does this mean? I had this major breakup. What does it mean, God? What's the meaning behind it? And if we are close to God, if we're close to Jesus, He's going to tell us. If we are laying our heads down on the rock, we are better and more able to receive what He's communicating to us. Whether it is a dream, whether it is a vision, or whether it is direct communication. Can I say that again direct communication. God communicating to us through dreams is one mode of communication. He's out to communicate with you face-to-face. The dream life, it might be one of the weakest forms. We've got to have the band and the ushers come to the front. As they're on their way up, I have one more scripture I'd like to read for you. This uh, This is from Numbers, chapter 12, verse 6 and 8. It says, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself to them in visions. I will speak to them in dreams. That's kind of cool, right? We all take on some type of a a prophetic priestly role now since Jesus has come. So, he speaks to us in visions. He speaks to us in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? See, God doesn't want to confuse you with a bunch of riddles and a bunch of symbols and a bunch of colors and a bunch of numbers. So that you can you know unwrap the mysteries of life. He's got mysteries for you to uncover, but he desires, he desperately desires to speak with you face to face as one speaks with a friend. He's gonna communicate with us clearly. It's in his word. He's he, you get a vision, you get a, you get a sign. If you're walking with the Lord, you're not gonna be confused, you're gonna know exactly what it means. It's going to resonate with your spirit. If you allow the Holy Spirit to interpret, it's going to resonate with your spirit. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, and if it's confusing, and if you're lost, and if you're depressed, guess what? That one's not from the Lord. I know it's powerful. I know it pulls strongly on your emotions. But if there's confusion involved, it's not from the Lord. Let's pray. God, right now, I just thank you for this group of believers, and I thank you that... uh, that we could enter into your presence where we could be followers every day of the week, but on Sunday we worship together. And I pray that you would just continue to speak to us. And and God, for those that that are not hearing your voice or maybe they're accustomed to hearing you in a certain way and you're trying to communicate to them in a different way, method or different mode I pray that you would just reveal that to them open their hearts open their minds open their ears God for those of us that uh, that we start our day like we lay our head down and before we do it we've got all kinds of garbage and we have not cleansed our minds we have not renewed our minds before we lay down God, I pray that you would just begin to teach us that secret of the Christian walk that we have to renew our minds before we enter into our dream life God God, I pray that that your Holy Spirit will minister to us while we sleep. I pray that it will give us encouragement, that it will give us empowerment, that it will give us warnings, that it will give us a bigger vision of what you're doing. God, thank you for this offering. I pray that it will just continue to increase your kingdom here on earth. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for giving to us.